The social change culture wants to influence children's attitudes and beliefs away from family values in Christ. But first, they have to diminish the voice of the parents. How do we respond to a culture that wants to destroy family? I'll tell you how. We strengthen the very institution that they're afraid of, the family. It all begins with the family. Bienvenidos. Welcome to the Monica Klein Show on the Edify Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Monica Leal Klein. Guys, I have an exciting show in store for you today with Missy Kara. She is the Texas Director of Parents' Rights and Education. And you don't want to miss this one. It's going to be a long one and you'll probably want to take notes, but we'll have some show notes available as well. And we're going to be talking about how the CDC contracts with different organizations that are pushing graphic sex education in our schools. Uh, so Advocates for Youth, uh, for example, has contract has had a contract with the CDC for many years. And so really, you know, Advocates for Youth is one of three organizations that created the National Sex Education Standards. Uh, and these are the standards that are basically saying that even preschoolers should learn about homosexuality, about gender fluidity, uh, which isn't a, a true statement. <laughs> there are... it gender or sex is binary. Um, and so they're wanting to teach all of our children these things in the public school system, uh, which is funded by the government, which is really funded by taxpayers. Well, the CDC is also funded by taxpayers. And so they are con contracting with these different organizations that are pushing this graphic sex education in our schools. And so I want you to hear from Missy Kara about her research. Now she is just a mom. Uh, and I say that in the kindest way. What I mean is, is she is a mom just like you. She's a parent just like you dads. And when she saw this coming into her school, not only did she fight it, she decided she wanted to research where this was coming from. And so the research that she's present presenting today is from a few years of digging into the CDC and making these connections. And really it's about follow the money. Let's listen in to my interview with Missy Kara. Thank you so much for being on the Monica Klein show today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And thank you so much Monica, for having me here too. Hey, I want the parents to know a little bit about a little bit about how you and I met because I still have the picture in my head. Uh, we have a friend in common. We're at the Texas Capitol. We may have spoken. Actually, I don't know that we spoke before that, but all I remember is that you need to meet Missy Kara. And, and I think someone told you the same thing about me. And I just remember us coming together down the hallway after we had testified somewhere or something. It's kind of a blur. And we just started going on and on about everything that we knew. So Missy, tell us a little bit about who you are. Why were you at the Capitol? How did you get involved in advocating for children and parental rights? Well, thanks for asking that. And I have such fond memories of that day. Um, let's back up to what brought me down there is I am a mom of two public school students. And we um, had been happily attending public school until one day my child had a sex ed class that I had consented to uh, on a, a consent form that was not uh, totally forthcoming about what they planned to teach my kids. So as a result of her being in that class, 
she experienced some bullying based off of her belief system. And through that process, as a mom that just says, oh my goodness, my kid's been bullied. What do I do? I went to her teacher who sent me to a principal who sent me to downtown administrators uh, just to share my concerns. And when I got downtown in Fort Worth ISD, I was met with, um, honestly, a hostile administrator who told me that I was the first mom who'd ever had a problem with this sex ed class in Fort Worth ISD. And I was the first one who ever came down them to tell them about that. And um, that's the first mom out of about 87,000 students, which I found shocking. So when that happened, it made me believe that there must be something going on here. Long story short, I wound up doing some extensive research about the class that was being taught in Fort Worth ISD and through that process found some concerning things. And what I felt like I wanted to do was to take action. And as a mom who had never gone through that experience before, I didn't know where to look. And this is key about getting connected with Monica is I'd, I had not found anyone who had learned about what's going on with these sex ed classes, what's going on in these curriculums, who's behind it, uh, what are they trying to accomplish. There were so many questions I had and I literally couldn't find anyone. So I, through a mutual friend, was sent to Austin to go testify on a bill that I was concerned about. And just as a citizen who had never done that before, just went in and told my story. And lo and behold, there were there were so many people like me, you know, moms who are interested or concerned about what their children are learning in school and wanting to take action and let their legislators know about those things. And um, that is where Monica and I met and uh, uh, several other women and men across Texas who were doing the very same thing. So it wound up being, it was a, it was a hard reason to go, but an encouraging outcome. And um, anyway, so that's where our relationship developed and, and, um, and now we stay connected and look at legislative issues coming through Texas about sex ed and other things and uh, support one another, so. Missy, yeah, th this is what I want moms and dads who are listening to remember is that we're all just moms, we're all just dads who saw a problem and we responded out of this natural instinct to wanna to protect our children. Uh, the schools are telling us don't worry about it, but we know that we should be concerned about something. Uh, I love that you said that you did your research, you know, you're being told to not worry about these things and that no one else was worried about it. So why should you be worried about it? But you did the research, you took action and you ended up, you know, you started looking for a community, uh, which led you to testify at the Capitol, which had you ever testified for or against a bill at the Capitol before? Never, never, not once. <laughs> Exactly. But we do this for our kids. We do extraordinary things for our kids. So I love that you did that. Now, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that your daughter went through the sex ed class. You consented to it because it did sound like it was okay. It didn't sound like it was anything, you know, that would be graphic. But you mentioned, uh, but it turned out to be graphic, obviously. You mentioned that she was being bullied about her beliefs. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so um, there in any 
group of children, there's always a group here, a group there. One believes this, one does that. And there were essentially two, like in a, a conservative group and a, and a progressive group. And my, my daughter actually had a friend in the progressive group. And what the issue was that brought the bullying was the LGBTQ issue. And so when that was discussed in the classroom, uh, my daughter sided with her friend, you know, for having her her belief system. And then this conservative group actually singled out my daughter and another child um, and bullied them and told them that that if they believe those things, that that terrible things were going to happen to them. And, um, and what I always tell people, too, is that um, grown adults have a difficult time discussing these topics. And how can we expect 11-year-old children to do these things? And though the school was telling us we need to all treat each other equally and be fair and and be respectful, that um, that doesn't cover hallways. It doesn't cover lunchrooms. It doesn't cover outside at recess. It doesn't cover texting. It doesn't cover a lot of things. And these children are presented with concepts and, and required to be very, very mature about those things, even when adults can't do it. So uh, long story short, that, that's what started it. And um, that was actually that what, again, that's what drove me to go say some concerns to the teachers. I think y'all might have caused an unintended consequence here. And um, and that their, their uh, response was, well, we all need to be able to discuss these things. And, you know, Monica, you and I probably could get in the cycle of the infinity loop of, well, who, who does get to teach the children these things? Who gets to discuss these things? Who puts the boundaries on what is said and not said? And um, and that's a conversation I bet we can't cover all in one podcast, but that's, that's where we found ourselves. And it was all by surprise. Um, the, the thing that got me was my older child had been through the same public school with the, with the same health class and that they had used a separate, different curriculum. So when I had let that child have that class, it was very standard. The, you know, you do this and you might have a pregnancy outcome and therefore don't do that. And then that was about the extent of their, um, their teaching and that this new curriculum is what came in and really changed things. So it totally changed the game. Yeah, Missy, you know, you made some really good points there, um, you know, and, and you made a comment that there was uh, this unintended consequence, you know, and I'm sure at the time you were probably thinking, I'm sure school that, that you didn't consider this. Now, I mean, cause this has been, when was this Missy? Wasn't this a few years ago that you did this? Years now, yes, it was in 2018. Yeah, so that that was a little bit of time. Now you've seen more, you've learned a lot more, and honestly, it's not an unintended consequence. They want this to happen because they want the children to learn a whole new belief system, and that bullying, that peer pressure, is to get our children who are minors and, like you said, do not have the fortitude to be able to stand up for their beliefs the way an adult can. And even most adults can't do it. Most of our churches are refusing to do it. Um, and so they're going to bend to the pressure and they're going to affirm even if they don't want to affirm. So they begin to consent to something that they don't want to consent to because they don't want to be bullied and because they want to be liked by not only their peers, but their teachers who are also pressuring them to affirm 
every belief that they present to them, LGBTQ, critical race theory, having sex outside of marriage, um, gender identity issues. So, you know, we, we see that none of this is naive. None of this is an unintended consequence. There is a very clear agenda. Um, and then, you know, and it's not even, oh yeah, Monica, they have an agenda. They say it themselves. They say it themselves. They, you know, that's what the whole point of the curriculum is, is they want to teach children that all these things are normal. Sex and childhood is normal. Experimenting with uh, same-sex attraction and, and behaviors is normal. They just want to normalize all of this to the extent of even saying that STDs are normal, that disease is becoming normal. And, and this is not healthy for our society whatsoever. Now, the infinity of debating who should be teaching the children it's really not an infinity kind of discussion, Missy. It's the parents. It's, it's absolutely the parents. Yeah, mm -hmm. you and I know that. A lot of our listeners know that. It is absolutely the parents. It is no longer, uh, we can no longer trust, and this is, we're about to go into the topic of why I, I even invited Missy onto this uh, podcast because she's got a lot more information to share. But what I was about to say is that it is now being, all these beliefs are being pushed as a public health message, that this is a government public health message to the people of our country to keep them quote unquote healthy. And so some years ago, even some of my own friends kind of giggled at me because I said, and I think I've said it on this podcast several times, that I'm going to take down the CDC. <laughs> um, and I know that no one woman can take down the CDC, but I'm doing my part, right? And so Missy um, has also noticed that the CDC, uh, because of, of the sexuality curriculums that are out, how they support this. And of course, many of you moms and dads are noticing that the CDC is putting out really poor false information about COVID, the vaccines, uh, the rates of infection, what is really going on. We are, we are beginning to see that we cannot trust the CDC. Missy and I have not trusted the CDC for a long time now. Uh, but I want, Missy, I want, I want you to share with them. I have shared with my listeners more than once about the whole community, whole school, whole child uh, program that the CDC talks about. Very, very dangerous. It's a quote unquote, it takes a village mentality. Obviously, I'm not, a, I'm not for that. I'm about, it takes a family and then it takes a, a, a village of like-minded families. Um, so what is it that you have found in the CDC, Missy, that you really want parents to know about? Well, it's actually that they created a division of adolescent and school health. So it's a separate division from what we might be seeing in the news right now about the vaccines, um, but that they created this division for a purpose. And if I could simplify the three main things that they're doing, especially now, is to educate students about sex or to do sex ed. The second thing is to create access to sexual health services. And the third thing is to create a safe, supportive environment to do so. And if we look at that safe, supportive environment to do so, what that's code for is to do that without any parental knowledge or consent. So we've got uh, three main issues that they've worked extensively on, and they've developed this process over years. They were actually established in 1988, 
and work with several different governmental entities to to uh, promote this agenda. And um, in the Department of Education, the Health and Human Services Department for the entire United States. Um, the federal government, where they get the money to fund it, and also what they call community-based organizations, which is a code word for organizations like Planned Parenthood. So they're doing all of this um, work in a coordinated fashion, and that they have been doing this for a long, long time, and that these efforts are going to be uh, implemented in schools, and that their hope is that it's without question. So let's let's talk a little more, Monica, about what what you want me to tell them next. Hey, Missy, let yeah. me pause you. I'm going to pause you because I hear my dogs barking, and I need to make it stop. Yeah. Okay, I was afraid it was a. Uh... Let me get my glasses. We're supposed to have something delivered, and I was afraid it was that. Okay, so okay. now you're about to. Okay. All right, so you were about to share your your next section. So go ahead. So, um, are we ready to go? Yes. Okay. So that I wanted to pick up on what you said, Monica, about the public health message that this is something that the CDC is coding with public health message. And one of the big entities that they're working with is actually CECUS, which I'm not sure if you've talked about them very often, but that, that's a very large entity that's been in the United States for a long time. And CECUS stands for Sexual Education Information Council of the United States. And that what's interesting about their branding is that in about 2018 or 19 now, I've forgotten, but that they've gone and put their branding as sex ed for social change. So they're no longer hiding what they're doing. And it has actually nothing to do with public health. And so that is just something that concerns me so much when we are all hearing the CDC and the government say, look at the science, look at the science. The thing about these entities working on this sex ed and sexual health access and doing it without parents knowing is it has nothing to do with science. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've talked about CECUS just a bit, and, and I actually have a blog post that I want parents to go and, and read uh, that talks about CECUS and its beginnings. And one of the things that I um, pulled was a very old article from CECUS to show their foundation uh, because they believe that children, they believed in Kinsey science, that children are sexual from birth and that they have a right to sexual pleasure at any age. Uh, and, and so, Missy, there's just horrible, horrible article that I have posted in that blog about what sex ed standards are you, are you following uh, it is the name of that blog. And it's literally a CECUS article, not opinion, or, well, it is an opinion, but they, they kind of present it as, as science, uh, talking about um, sexual pleasure in breastfeeding, 
with your baby. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. Oh okay. And that's as far, it's as far as I'm going to go with that. Um, and I remember those discussions when I was a, comp a comprehensive sex educator and especially when I was a Title X training manager, people making those comments. Uh, and I was thinking, that's really bizarre. Why would anyone sexualize that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. There's no link to that whatsoever. Um, and I found the article and I'm like, oh my God, I keep discovering things from, from things that I heard in my time, my, my decade long career in that. And I'm like, wow, Lord, this is, this is what they were talking about. So that article is up there. So that is the, that is the foundation of SECUS. And a lot of these organizations that Missy is talking about, these are the people who created the CDC. So this is their foundation. Um, and like I've said before, you want to read the food label of your, <laughs> of your food, right? You want to read the food label of your sex education. What is the foundation? What are those ingredients? And it'll tell you how it's going to affect your children, but go ahead, Missy, tell us more because there's a lot more to say. I know, I know there is. Yeah. I'm so glad you put it about read the food label. Uh, one of the things that I would say is I forgot to mention that I actually have a nursing background. And so I was trained to look into, uh, the science of things or look into references and, and studies and data and uh, just really came at the whole education process for my kids that way, you know, that we want to look to the resources and the experts for uh, this education. Well, one of the interesting things that I picked up on during my research was who is who's deciding this science? So we've already hit upon one of the main drivers behind sex ed in the United States and that actually they're geared towards social change, not public health. Well, another interesting thing I found out in our district in particular is where the um, where the curriculum came from. And so with the CDC, they've devised a recipe for public schools to follow, to uh, choose and evaluate curriculums to teach these students. So um, let's walk out the process of how that goes by the recipe and design of the CDC. Is they have created a tool and it is a measurement tool where you take the standards and the, the um, the goals of curriculum, like they have certain guidelines they want to meet. Um, and so anyway, the tool, they want to measure it to see if it's going to be an effective curriculum or not. So this tool got developed in about 2012, and it was developed by the CDC's design, and that they hired an expert to do the tool. And the tool is called a HECAT, a Health Education Curriculum Analysis Tool. And the way the recipe goes is a tool is given to the school district who will be evaluating curriculum and it's given to a shack so that's the school health advisory council so these this panel of parents and and community leaders will take this tool to measure a number of sex ed curriculum to pick one and they want to pick the most effective of course the most scientifically based evidence-based effective one and that I found it that the lead on the health education curriculum analysis tool was an expert named Dr. Susan Telgen. And so when our district was given this tool to measure the curriculum, they had several at the time. I believe at that, at that year in 2018, there were about 120 curriculum available to teach students sex ed. 
Well, we had one in particular for Fort Worth that was chosen based on this tool, and it's called a curriculum called Health Smart. And when I looked to see who had written Health Smart curriculum, it turned out it was written by an expert named Dr. Susan Telchin, who is the same person who developed the the tool for the CDC. And what's interesting about this is that she had been hired by the CDC and also by a publisher of sex ed curriculum. And the publisher is ETR. Have you ever talked about that on your podcast before? Yeah. No, not yet. This is good. Go ahead. (laughs) This is good. Okay. So um, with ETR, they hired that expert, Dr. Susan Tilgen, and she wrote that curriculum. And by goodness, that's the best one that that tool could measure. So Fort Worth ISD chose it. And then um, we were involved in a grant with the CDC, which we'll talk about next. We'll come back to that. Um, Anyway, and that the grant was with the CDC, and they wanted to make sure that we did our implementation of this uh, sex ed curriculum to a best best practice, so an evidence-based way, and that they hired a consultant to come here to make sure that we followed the recipe that the CDC used of implementation and the consultant was to make sure we did it properly. And the consultant that we hired here for Fort Worth ISD turned out to be Dr. Susan Telgen. (laughs) So I just found it so interesting, Monica, that the person who wrote the tool wrote the curriculum and actually did the implementation. So when we're looking at long-term studies and data and repeatability and you know, a non-biased scientific process that one person's finger is on all the pie. And I just found that so very interesting that are we really following clients? Like that was a big question of mine. So apparently not, but we are following money. And yeah. so Susan Telgen has received money from CDC to create the HECAT. I am sure that was thousands and thousands of dollars. She then made a lot of money uh, with her health smart curriculum that is now being funded by the government to be placed into schools for quote unquote free, but really our taxpayer money is paying for that as well. And now ETR is also providing her with money. Uh, all these organizations working with the CDC, once they're linked with the CDC, gives them this air of, you know, that they're the expert. Uh, but all the while, you know, their, their work, it's very incestuous. They're basically working with one another and, and putting money in each other's pockets. Now, the ETR was created also many, many years ago, um, also through different people who were working together through, uh, so Planned Parenthood then seeded that, I call it the spawn of Planned Parenthood. Um, Planned Parenthood then had Mary Calderon who went on and, and created CECUS. And then, and then from there, we also have ETR being created from them as well. And then from, from CECUS, we also see advocates for youth coming out. So these are all the spawn of Planned Parenthood. These are all the same people who start to create new arms. Uh, Guttmacher was also, the, that's the research arm for Planned Parenthood. It's another organization that was spawned from Planned Parenthood. Um, ETR, just so that parents know, is it relevant? Absolutely. So when I first started in HIV prevention and as well as comprehensive sexuality education with Planned Parenthood, ETR pamphlets were the go-to pamphlets. They're provided by the government uh, to any uh, prevention organization, any clinic that is needing information on quote-unquote disease like STDs and such. Um, And so that all comes from ETR. 
So again, we're seeing all of this coming from the same organizations with the same agenda, using our taxpayer money and pushing this on our children and on some of the most vulnerable communities in our nation. Go ahead, Missy. What else did you find? Okay, so let's walk out to why did I get on this trail in the first place? So let's go back to the CDC DASH, which is the Division of Adolescent School Health. And they had three big goals. They are to teach sex ed, create access to sexual health services, and do it in a safe, supportive environment. Well, when they had this initiative, they did like all good government entities do, and they created a series of grants to accomplish this. So uh, this began actually in 2013. So we want to look at our funding. You hit on that, Monica, too, just about where is all the money coming from? Well, it's you. You know, it's you as a taxpayer uh, that this is the money that's driving the machine. And not only that, it's driving it into the schools that is also funded by your tax dollars. So this is all... It, it actually kind of boils me up. If y'all could see me, you would see my face starting to turn red, <laughs> that we, we pay for all of these things. So uh, with the grants, what they did is they chose cities across the United States. They chose cities that had large districts, and Fort Worth was one of 17. And what we received the grant money for was to be the district that established the process of adoption for the sex ed curriculum. So I kind of did this in reverse, if y'all can track with me. Now you already know the punchline. But that we, Fort Worth ISD, were one of 17 cities to receive funding for five years to choose and implement a curriculum in a safe, uh, excuse me, a scientific evidence-based way. And what we were doing here in this district was setting a standard that will be followed across the United States from now on. So we set the gold standard recipe. So for the first five years, 2013 to 2018, we got that recipe that I talked about. You use the tool, you choose the curriculum, and then you implement it. And what they were watching for was to see, did that curriculum actually work? Well, we can tell you now that that curriculum and all the recipe pointed it right to where this would work very, very well. So you can look on the CDC website and see that our Fort Worth ISD was a great story for this. So let me pause there and tell you why this matters. That now the CDC, who is our expert in the Division of Adolescent School Health, who is using all of this science to tell every school district out in the United States, this is the process to do it. When you have to adopt a curriculum, you follow this. Now they're all following the same standard. And this hit, you already hit on it, Monica, about how this just turns into everybody funding each other. So now we're in a cycle of indisputable evidence to public schools who aren't aware that this was all, excuse me, but I'm going to say a racket is a con job is what this is. And now um, schools all across the U.S. are following this recipe and will have the same outcome. And I'll tell you for an example that there's a school district actually in southwest Washington state who is following this recipe to a T this year. And the reason that they were able to contact me is they heard me speak about this and their little flag went up and said, wait a minute, I've heard about this curriculum that you've talked about. And my gosh, we're following this exact recipe. And you know what happened, Monica, is some parents got, got wind of it and they actually stopped it. So what I want to talk about is 
hey, if you know the recipe and then you're paying attention to what's going on in your school district, you can actually do something. So let's stop right here and say call to action time. Y'all get involved and learn about this. When you go and listen to what your school district's doing, the recipe is very easy to spot and you can intervene. So you can go and say, wait a minute, I don't like this. So um, right now it hasn't been fully stopped in Southwest Washington, but they have definitely paused the process and brought in other curriculum to be evaluated besides the one. So that's excellent news. Um, if I were able to reach out and see all across the United States, what are people doing about this right now? I would highly suspect that's happening in a lot of places. So uh, just know that it is worth paying attention. Okay, so that's the one thing about this grant. And then the second thing is we want to talk about this access to sexual health services. So imagine if we just gloss over the same kind of evidence-based science that went into establishing the curriculum. Now these schools are establishing a process to get the students sexual health services access, and they will be sending the children to one place, and it is Planned Parenthood. <laughs> so what I want to show is that, that all across the U.S. that there are several districts, I believe there's 27, where they are setting up that process right now and in california in los angeles unified school district they've used this exact recipe to actually put planned parenthood clinics inside of the schools and ultimately when you look at this division of adolescent and school health uh, strategic goal development that that is their ultimate goal is to do this um, and that I just so I can tell people their goals are to be between 2018 and 2023 to be completed with that process. So um, where we can see an evidence of how the recipe played out for sex ed adoption and also let's try and stop that. Why don't we take a look at what this sexual health services adoption is, this grant money they're using and try and stop them from getting Planned Parenthood in. Absolutely. You know, when you, uh, I'm going to back up to the sex education part, Missy, you mentioned that it was successfully implemented. And is that what you mean that it was the program a success for the children? Or are you just saying that it was, uh, that they were able to reach their goal of implementing sex ed in the school? I'm so glad you asked that. So I would say that, that they, they reached their goal of implementing the sex ed in the school. And do you have any data? Um, and I think I know where to find it. Um, I don't remember if I already pulled it on HealthSmart and how it, what its outcomes are once it's implemented. You know that I'll have to, I'll have to see if we can attach that into the blog later. Okay, good. Because I did look. At, is it part of the TPP program? I believe teen so. pregnancy prevention. I believe it is because majority of those. I pulled a lot of those reports and majority of them um, had null uh, outcomes, meaning they couldn't really find any outcomes. Well, first of all, they only looked at it with six months of outcomes, which any scientific study needs to be at least a year. So they're only looking at six months. Why? Because they know it's already failing at six months. So either there was not much of an outcome at all, or for many of them, and we will go ahead and add this to the blog when we look up HealthSmart, um, had some of the, many of them had adverse effects, meaning that they increased sexual activity. Now, you know what was so um, just 
conniving of them is that in these reports on health and human services on these TPP programs, which are teen pregnancy prevention programs, um, they did not measure for rate of pregnancy. Okay. So this is a teen pregnancy prevention program. They didn't even measure pregnancy, teen pregnancy. They didn't measure STDs. So they're not even looking at whether their program helped decrease pregnancy or decrease the amount of uh, sexually transmitted diseases being transmitted. The only thing they looked at was whether they used condoms or not. So when you've heard me talk about comprehensive sex education before, I'm telling you, it's all about supposedly to get them to start using condoms. But the truth is, is that they know that it's going to fail, which is why there's a big push to push them to Planned Parenthood. Because once again, it's kind of the show me the money. They get money from the government to do STD testing, pregnancy testing, family planning, and then they get money for those abortions. And now they're even jumping on the bandwagon of prescribing hormone replacement uh, for children who have who, who believe are gender dysphoric. Um, so this is all about money. Um, so we will look that up and we will um, hope I'm pretty sure that there is some reports for health smart and we'll include that in the blog. Um, you know, Missy, I also want to talk about the health access piece. Were you going to say more to that? Um, the sexual health services access, uh, mostly mm -hmm. that it depends on what state that you're in as to what students are able to do. And um, if I could just walk out one experience that I had here in Texas, this was still a little early on in my research. Um, my, my oldest had gone to high school and at our high school, they have a, uh, a uh, school-based health clinic. And that's another piece of this puzzle. So I went over to, excuse me, the school-based health clinic myself and walked in the door and just said, you know what? I saw that y'all are listed on a poster in the school as a sexual health services provider. And I'm just curious, what would you do if my 15 year old daughter came over here during lunch? What would you do? And that they said that they would take her as a patient and that they would provide her any services she needed. And that could be testing, that could be treatment for STDs, that could be any kind of birth control that she asked for, um, and that they could do this, number one, without me being aware. So that was number one offense for me. Um, and then another thing I said was, who pays for this? You know, if she's at, we're privately insured, um, what do you do in a case like that? Would you bill me? And that they said that they actually would not, that they could take a patient that's 15 like this, who whether or not she's privately insured, and that they could provide all these services for free for her because, quote unquote, there's a grant for that. So I said, well, once you've gotten her, do you contact her physician's office? No. Do you provide any ongoing services for her? Is this like a one-time thing? And they said that they would actually take her as a patient and keep her until she was 18 years old. So technically, my 15-year-old kid could go to school, walk off campus during lunch, go access the sexual, excuse me, the school-based health clinic for sexual health services. I would never know. They would provide her what she needed. They wouldn't bill me their grant funding. And that that could go on and on, and I would have one. Which just was a snuts, right? <laughs> yeah. 
It's, uh, they may have more than one grant probably, but Title 10 family planning grants, uh, which Planned Parenthood receives as well as other federally qualified health clinics receive. And possibly a lot of these school-based health clinics are receiving Title 10. It's possible. I don't really know about this particular school, um, but they can provide under this government grant called Title 10, they can provide these kind of services to girls as young as 12. It is for any girl of childbearing age. And the, unless the grant has changed to something younger, it actually said 12 years old, but they also put in the language of childbearing age. So my experience was that we had girls coming in as young as 10 and their parents didn't know about it. Um, it's interesting earlier, you mentioned that um, this program started in 2013 because that was the, the year that was in my head for a article that you can read that I've told my parents about, again, on the CDC about adolescent confidentiality. And I believe it was also published that exact same year. So they, they obviously had laid their foundation to cover all, uh, to, you know, to really get what they wanted done. And this study um, really interviewed or supposedly polled teenagers as to why they would not go and get tested for STDs. And many of them said, well, it's because I, I don't have money and I don't want to tell my parents and I don't want to use insurance because I don't want it to come up on the insurance. And then my parents find out. I don't think kids even know about that, to be honest. They don't know how insurance works. <laughs> so that was a big lie. But anyway, so the CDC said, you know, it was based on a very small percentage of adolescents, and we'll we'll go ahead and put that in the blog as well uh, for you to read. Um, and they basically said, well, because these adolescents said this, then we're noticing that we there's a need for adolescents to have confidentiality in healthcare. So minors through the CDC and through these programs for sexual health have confidentiality, meaning mom and dad, you are absolutely irrelevant. To their health care and they're not going to tell you anything. Uh, and these curriculums that are going into the schools or any health educator, comprehensive sex educator that's teaching your children are going to teach them. And that's what these curriculums do. They teach them how to access the health care system, sexual health care system, i.e. Planned Parenthood, how to, how to navigate that system on their own without you ever knowing about it. And it's been going on for decades and decades and decades uh, before 2013 because I was teaching this in the 90s and it was before that as well. A lot of this really was started around the time of HIV uh, when the government was really starting. Now, sex ed started in the 60s, but when it really got into the schools and when they really got some strong funding from the government, that all happened. Um, HIV was their, was their open door to do that. Um, now, Missy, your next step is creating a supportive environment. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what they'll be doing. Well, they already are doing. I believe that there will be a grant for it as well. Um, but that the safe supportive environment is setting up systems inside of the school. And so this is where we build the trusted adult. So this is where these adults are given these uh, titles or positions, and they might be a school nurse or a school counselor or an interventional specialist um, and also administrators. They all become these trusted adults that these, these children can go to to ask questions, whether it's about 
how to obtain birth control or how to how to obtain hormone therapy or puberty blockers, um, anything that is their whim that these children can walk in and there's going to be a process where that is all done completely without parents' consent or in, in, uh, in being informed. I mean, everything can happen behind those doors. You'll have no idea. And uh, let's walk out, you know, one scenario that's happening in Texas is with the gender modification bill that's down in Austin right now, uh, why this might be relevant. Um, that right now there's a bill that if y'all haven't heard already, that they are trying to um, call gender modification by surgery uh, actually child abuse so that they would legislate it out so that it could not be performed on a, on a minor. Um, and that is also debated right now down there about whether or not providing puberty blockers or hormone therapy to students that are minors is child abuse as well. Um, and so right now, legislatively, that's being addressed in Texas. And why this matters is these kids are going to be able to access those services through the school system to the school-based health clinic or Planned Parenthood, other providers that'll do it. And um, that these minor children are making forever life-altering decisions that could be uh, you know, actually changing their body like inside and out, you know, hormonally and also uh, cosmetically, you know, and that all of that could be initiated and started without a parent. So this, this, the CDC, in my opinion, is setting up a process and likely working with module model legislation to make that happen. Um, and again, with Monica's point that it all points back to money. Like, why are they doing this? <laughs> is all about the money. You know, Missy, I, I had a, I mentioned this in my previous podcast that I had a, a mom reach out and ask by email, why, why is this happening? I understand what's happening, but why? And, and it is, it's money. It's absolute greed, power, and money at the expense of our children and at the expense of vulnerable communities. Um, so, this supportive environment, and, I, and I'll probably co cover this in another podcast as well, is that they do a very good job, uh, and they meaning the Planned Parenthood and such, at uh, providing a quote-unquote supportive environment with their counseling skills, and they put children at ease. Um, they also really use language that helps them feel empowered about their decision to be there at the clinic, even though their, their parents don't know about it. It took a lot of courage to do that. And so they really give them this encouragement. They make them feel that they're making great um, adult decisions and they're so proud of them. Uh, and this really keeps those kids, uh, you know, with these quote unquote trusted adults. And so moms and dads, when you're at the school and you're debating this and you're talking to school boards and you're reading curriculums and you're reading policy or you're reading bills, be very careful about that term trusted adult because trusted adult does not mean what you think it means. Um, and really remember that you are the steward over your children. God has given those children to you, not the government, not the neighbor, not the nurse, not someone who labels themselves an expert just because they worked or collaborated with the CDC. You are the steward over your child and you are the final authority over your children. Uh, Missy, what you were talking about with gender modification in Texas is that the governor um, 
requested and only requested for the child protective services to look into surgery modification as being child abuse. I don't know why he decided to make, he actually made the decision to not also ask about hormone therapy and, and puberty blockers. Um, we have sent the governor lots of information about this topic. So he cannot say that he was not aware of hormone replacement or puberty blockers. He actually chose to only ask about surgery. Moms and dads, you need to know that in Texas, this is already happening. Children are already receiving hormone replacement therapy at very young ages. We have two gender clinics in Texas called Genesis. Absolutely. Uh, they have called themselves Genesis, the first book of the Bible that uh, where God tells us that he made us male and female. So they 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 took that um, that title for their clinic because they believe that they're playing God uh, with our children, and and they are they are doing this already. So this is very serious. It isn't like oh, will Texas do this? Texas is already doing it, and we need to work really hard uh, all over this nation to protect our children. Uh, and see, I'm also very curious as to why are parents even submitting to some of this? Uh, why are some parents actually cons consenting? Uh, and many of them say it's because they're, you know, they're being brainwashed by uh, different therapists saying that your child is going to commit suicide unless you do this. Um, and I, I believe that that are, that is some of the cases. And then there's others who seem to just be getting a lot of publicity out of it. And I kind of wonder if maybe for them, it has more to do with publicity um, so I'm praying for those parents and, and, and for those children because it, it, I just, it breaks my heart to see parents who are supposed to be protecting their children are actually harming their children in this way. Um, Missy, thank you so much for sharing this. Is, are there any other things that you, that you think we really need to know about the CDC? Well, um, I'm just so glad that you've had me here. And what I would like to do, Monica, there's so many things that you can dive into with the CDC Dash is um, I would love to send a link to you so that you can share with your viewers um, that there's so much information to find, uh, first of all, about where are they starting these things and um, what are their goals? So it outlines their goals. It has the timelines of when they want to do it. Um, if there are some code words in there that you might not understand, some of them may be a community-based organization. So if you're looking at when the CDC says, we're going to implement this and connect your students to a community-based organization, just keep that in mind that that is, that is code word for Planned Parenthood or similar organizations, but essentially it's Planned Parenthood. Um, and so they update those uh, website pages so that you can you can have extra new information like they give results about these grants that they've done and give study reports and and disseminate it as scientific evidence-based science stuff. Uh, just when you are reading it, look at it and go, oh my goodness, all of that science is really coming from things that are like CECAS, like we talked about at the very beginning, um, and that their code word now is, or no, excuse me, not their code word, their branding actually is sex ed for social change. So when we're working with Planned Parent organization that we know what they their agenda is in CECAS, which we now know that their agenda is sex ed for social change. Anything you see on that CDC website, Monica, just think of it as it's either a moneymaker 
or it's a way to separate your child from you and your family and, and get them into things that if as a believer that you don't want to see your kids doing, you know, getting access to these things or being taught these things and um, really, really changing potentially your child's future without you even knowing what's going on. So um, I would say definitely educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself. And then also don't be afraid to take action. So like Monica said at the very, very beginning, um, it, it can be intimidating and in that you might hear things that say, oh, these studies have been done. There's so much evidence, Monica, all that evidence we now know, it's just not. And so parents, be brave, be bold, uh, ask questions, go to your uh, teachers, your administrators. Uh, don't be afraid to go to Austin. Um, I tell people all the time, if I've done it, you can absolutely do it and talk to the governor who's right now not even mentioning that hormone therapy and puberty blockers could be damaging or child abuse to children. Um, be bold and be brave and get your voice heard and, um, and love on your kids. Talk to them, explain these things to them. Um, and just be encouraged that, you know, if you're hearing what we're talking about today, that we know that you're interested and concerned for your child and that I applaud you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you for that encouragement, Missy. Thank you for, I was going to ask you that, like what tips do you have for parents? And you, you did, you did that beautifully. Thank you so much. And do what Missy did and what all of us have done. You can't do this by yourself. You are going to run yourself ragged. You are going to be sitting at home really anxious. If you're doing this by yourself, align yourself with like-minded moms and dads and work on this together. And when you create policy with your legislators, make sure that it's not just some letter to Child Protective Services. Our governor had every opportunity to actually pass bills that would have protected children this last session, and he chose not to do it. And so he's like trying to appease us with this little letter. No thank you. So I don't want that happening in your state. Missy and I are in Texas, which is why we've talked about Texas so much. But you need to be doing this in your state. And when you're working with your legislators, you want policy and you want policy with teeth in it. That means there's consequences for the people who break the law. Currently, we have so many laws, whether it's the mass mandates, all kinds of things that have no teeth. And because there's no teeth, the schools aren't listening. They're like, you can't do anything to me anyway. I don't care what the law says because you can't arrest me. You can't take away my funding. You can't do anything. So make sure there's always teeth to those laws. There has to be consequences. Missy, thank you so much. Uh, guys, we know that we talked about a lot of information, but I got, uh, surprisingly, poor Missy, I got her to agree to write a little blog post about this podcast today. And we're going to include links uh, um, to and files to some of the things that we talked about to the CDC, some of the reports so that you have those on hand with you. Um, so we're not going to leave you hanging. We're recording this on a Friday, but by Tuesday when this is published, we will have that blog post up for you. So Missy, thank you so much. And I would love for you to come on the show again, because you're a wealth of information and a delight to be with. Thank you for being part of this battle that we have. And I want to end this with some, a reminder. Uh, and this is, you know, it takes a family, uh, you know, this is one of our, um, our family scriptures that, that I tend to go to all the time. And that's in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. This is from the NIV. Uh, and this is regarding uh, teaching our children God's truths and God's laws. So teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Guys, he's not kidding. 
We need to give our children truth. We need to give them value. We need to give them purpose. They need to know that we're there for them. And they need that, that to be consistent. Literally, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, this is what our kids need. Because if we're not doing it, the world is doing it. And they are being very consistent about it in the media. Now it's in our schools, it's in our government, and they're being bombarded. So, but you, you have been given a very special privilege and power to be that authority and that covering for your children. And it says it right here in Deuteronomy. So make sure you do that. God bless all of you and in, and may God bless all the work of your hands. Thanks, Missy. Thank you, Monica.